The global north's insatiable appetite for the latest fashion, coupled with gargantuan marketing budgets to continue to promote that kind of consumption, has contributed to massive amounts of clothing waste and pollution. The ripple effect has greatly impacted countries in the global south. I'm Rebecca Burgess, the founder of a California-based nonprofit called Fibershed. Learn more on the Weaving Voices podcast, a Whetstone Radio Collective podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. I'm Jesse Sparks, host of the new podcast, The One Recipe, from the team behind The Splendid Table. This pod is all about that one recipe that you lean on. The one you share with friends, the one you make when you need a little love, and the one you know will work every single time. Every week, I talk with chefs and gifted cooks from all over the world about their one and the story behind it. We're here to help you build your kitchen library one dish at a time. Follow the one recipe wherever you get your podcasts. As most of you know, I grew up in Norfolk, Virginia. And yes, that's how you pronounce it. One of the first food articles I wrote was about James Hemmings, America's first chef de cuisine, who was enslaved by Thomas Jefferson. Hemmings studied cooking in France, and when he came back to Monticello, which just so happens to be in Virginia, he brought back recipes for things that we still eat today, like macaroni and cheese, french fries, and whipped cream. Writing that article made me realize there must be so many other foods that have their American start in Virginia as well. And there's quite a list. But there's one dish in particular that just might surprise you. Welcome to Setting the Table, a podcast about Black cuisine and food ways. I'm Deb Freeman. I'm a writer that focuses on African-American food ways and the impact those food ways have on how we cook and eat today. If you remember, on our first episode, we talked about barbecue and how the Great Migration spread Black food ways across the country. But in this episode, we'll take a look at how barbecue became a part of those food ways in my home state of Virginia. To start us off on delving into the birthplace of American barbecue, I brought back my friend, author and culinary historian, Adrian Miller, who you might remember from that first episode. I think of Virginia as the birthplace of American barbecue because if you go back historically, that's how everybody at that time thought about it. A lot of the references to barbecue as a social event would say a Virginia barbecue. It was really only later that you got the term Southern barbecue or other states applied. And the earliest writings we kind of have of barbecue come from Virginians. And then as barbecue spread to other parts of the South, it was usually Virginians bringing along their enslaved African-Americans who were the primary cooks for this. So it just seems like Virginia is where the action is. Now, now everybody agrees with me. I get a lot of well, what about Carolina or, you know, this, this, and that? And so I just asked them, if you believe it's someplace else, talk to me about where you get that from and their sources. And usually the sources that people cite are well after so many references to Virginia barbecue, a good five decades later. And if you know anything about U.S. history, that the Carolinas were settled much later than Virginia. The interesting thing to me, though, is that over time, Virginia has let other parts of the country take that mantle. Sorry to y'all in North Carolina, but we're going to set the record straight. And I hate to tell you, 
But what you think of as North Carolina barbecue is essentially Virginia barbecue. I love the Tar Heels, but we were first. American barbecue is the result of a unique combination of European, African, and indigenous people coalescing in Virginia. I'm a big proponent that barbecue, as we understand it, is Native American in origin and its foundation. Now, not everybody's feeling that. You've got people that are saying it's from West Africa. And believe me, I wanted to prove that barbecue was from West Africa. I wanted to cross my arms with an X and say Wakanda forever. But if you go back to the sources of that time, around the time of the Atlantic slave trade, there's just no evidence that Africans were cooking that way. The second thing is, if this is West African in origin, how come we don't see Southern-style barbecue all across the Americas? Because enslaved Africans were everywhere. So I think it was a unique combination of Native Americans, Europeans, and Africans that all come together to put us on barbecue. Barbecue for the indigenous people, there were two ways to do it, right? So one could be for cooking something for immediate feasting, but a lot of times it was for preservation. So it was a really low fire. There were reports that sometimes this stuff would cook for a day, maybe even a couple of days. And I think what Europeans brought into the mix is, first of all, they brought their domesticated animals because indigenous people were eating game, probably primarily venison, bears, and things like that. So the Europeans brought their domesticated animals, so cows, goats, and pigs. And then they brought another type of cooking called carbonado. And this is a faster type of cooking that was maybe closer to grilling, what we would say today, but cooking something over high heat for a short period of time. And so to me, barbecue emerges as this intermediate type of cooking. So not quite as slow as preservation, but not as fast as grilling. And I'm borrowing this thesis on the work of Joe Haynes, who wrote a book called Virginia Barbecue. And for anybody who's interested in this, that's a great book to read. He did a great job of marshalling a whole bunch of sources together and compiling them and looking at this early history. And so the thing that's a little bit harder to perceive is just the role of enslaved Africans here, because what I think happened is that the early years of barbecue, you probably had enslaved Native Americans actually as barbecue cooks. And then later you've got enslaved Africans who have their own meat cooking, smoking traditions that get into the mix. And then a certain way of seasoning that also gets into the mix. And then they become the go-to cooks. So through trial and error, they're the ones who perfect barbecue to the thing that it becomes identifiably and well-known by the 19th century. And the other thing that's really interesting to me is that this idea of barbecue, digging a trench full of hardwood burning coals with animals butterflied and you're flipping that and saucing that, that, as far as I can tell, does not show up anywhere else but Virginia in the early years. So what exactly does a Virginia-style barbecue look like? To answer this question, I had to go to a barbecue expert. My name is Joshua Fitzwater. I'm joining you from Richmond, Virginia. My friends call me Fitz. I'm the founder of Southern Grit Magazine, a food publication covering Virginia foodways. I'm also a heirloom watermelon grower and a barbecue aficionado. Fitz has spent years writing and photographing Virginia foodways and carries those culinary traditions on his shoulders. He's also a native of Norfolk, Virginia, and spends much of his time seeking out the unique food traditions that still exist throughout the Commonwealth. This guy is the real deal. I asked him to share what Virginia barbecue would have looked like in the early days. So process-wise, this is back at the beginning. We're dealing with ox, we're dealing with whole hogs, feral hogs. 
They even used to barbecue sturgeon, the ancient fish that now are, I think some of them are endangered and you can't find them around here. But your animal is cooked whole over a pit with wood-fired coals below it. Back then, the animal would be laid over long sticks and, and tree limbs and those types of things. Today, when people do it the Virginian way, they're using like rebar and, and stuff like that. But back then, it would be sticks. They're making coals from wood, and these go under into the dug pit. They go under the hogs. That's just like a very general description of the process. Vinegar which is associated nowadays with a Carolina-style barbecue, definitely present at really, I'm sorry, North Carolina people, but really, in a lot of ways, Carolina barbecue is an extension of Virginia barbecue with a much better marketing campaign than Virginia barbecue. You would also baste the hog that would be with your vinegar, with your red pepper, midway or so through the cook. This is to actually preserve the skin and make sure that the skin does not burn it allows the meat to cook without burning the animal as much and also for flavor, obviously. So yeah, that would be like a basic breakdown of Virginia barbecue early in the creation of it. There are photographs that exist of a enslaved pit master, a Juba Garth. I believe this is during antebellum times. And so there's actually photographic evidence of basically taking a tree branch and where it would fork off into branches, cutting that off but leaving the two stumps, attaching a rag of some sort on there, and then using that to apply the base onto the hog. And that's known as a Virginia wand. It's a precursor to the barbecue mop that you would see a famous pitmaster like, say, a Rodney Scott in South Carolina using today. Fitz has also participated in several large-scale Virginia-style barbecues and knows firsthand the amount of labor it takes to do it right, and has a deep reverence and respect for the early pitmasters who eventually perfected American barbecue. I've had the honor, really, of being able to do a couple of these and assist in a couple of these with Joe Haynes, with some notable African-American pitmasters in Virginia. So Sam Clayton, Alex Bazemore out of Suffolk, I've also been able to document and witness the 1752 barbecues in Woodstock, Virginia, the whole hog barbecues, and they're barbecuing giant, huge hogs that are, some of them were 200 pounds, 24-hour cooks. So it's really hard. And so when I was involved in the first one that I did, I could not walk the next day. After digging the ditch, getting the rebar down, and getting the pigs onto the pit, and then you're constantly making wood fire coals in a burn barrel and feeding it under, so you're bending down and you're feeding these barrels, and you're smoke inhalation. It's incredibly hard. There's the labor component, but then also there's a true talent for when do you apply this baste? When do you flip these hogs? Where do you put the coals so that they're not going to overcook one area, but cook another area enough? When I was a part of this doing these, one, I chose to do that. So that's the first thing. The original pit masters did not have that luxury. But still, they're producing these very renowned, by the way, barbecues, because there's still documentation stories of Washington throwing barbecues. There's barbecues on record honoring Thomas Jefferson, Martha Washington. I mean, it's a who's who of our founding fathers by these pitmasters that now are nameless. We know a few that come later. So your Jubilgars that are from this lineage, your 
John Dabney, who actually does have some notoriety in the Richmond area, and then also Browns Island, Thomas Griffin. The craft and the skill combined with the labor and how just insanely difficult it is to not now explore these Virginian pitmasters who essentially, through the combination, as Haynes would say, the creolization of these three cultures created a whole new way of cooking, a whole new way of approaching fire and meat, basically. That's really what we need to shine the light on and what we really need to investigate and talk more about because there's really not anything more synonymous with American cuisine than barbecue. And it began in Virginia. And it began essentially in the hands of enslaved pitmasters that were working with what they had in front of them and innovating essentially a new part of American cuisine that today everybody enjoys and is so synonymous with American cuisine. Adrian has also done extensive research into early Virginia pitmasters, and I asked him to talk a bit about them. Another guy that most comes to mind who I wrote about in my book was a guy named Charles Allen. Now, he may have gotten his expertise during slavery, but he was more notable after emancipation. But this was a guy from Lexington, Virginia, who was known for doing barbecue. And interestingly enough, there was a Catholic priest in Boston who had the bright idea like, hey, I'm building a new church. I need to fundraise for it. Let me have a true Southern barbecue. And I'm going to put this guy, Charles Allen, on a train and have him come up there. And several years in the 1890s until the early 1900s, Charles Allen was basically brought to Boston to cook this barbecue. And his wife was, I would say, a co-cook. And to have this husband and wife team cooking barbecue, I think is pretty extraordinary. There was another guy named Shackleford Pound, who was an interesting figure. He was known for barbecue, but he was celebrated by people who were sympathetic to the Confederacy and was depicted as the loyal servant, you know, that kind of stuff. But he was a notable barbecue guy. So there's so many names like that that exist, and there are so many that we don't even know of people who have contributed to this culinary art form. The interesting thing about him is that a lot of these African-Americans were either anonymous or maybe you got their name, but nobody ever really talked to them. But this guy was interviewed quite a bit. And so thanks to those interviews, we can get into the mind of a chef. And you could tell that he was doing some very interesting stuff with his sauce and other things. So very interesting figure. And we also, somebody took the time to actually draw an illustration of him. So we know what he looked like. And he was a smooth brother. So I'm thankful for that. It's interesting to think that Virginia's ground zero for American barbecue as we know it but it's even more interesting that it doesn't get recognized for that history in mainstream food culture. Well, I got to tell you, I am just mystified why that died out. Because, again, almost everybody in the early 19th century was calling it Virginia barbecue. And that's where it was rooted. So the fact that that died out, I'm just not so sure. That's one of the big mysteries of history to me. So you've asked me a question that has stumped me for a long time because I don't see a reason why it happened. But it, it happened. When people today talk about the earliest barbecue, they all start with Carolina. Nobody talks about Virginia. Even though what they're doing in Carolina is what Virginians were doing first, especially the Eastern North Carolina whole hog tradition. And I know some North Carolinians might be getting mad at me saying this, but I'm just saying that's what the historical record shows. Again, I have love for our North Carolina listeners. And I must admit, y'all have done a much better job showcasing your traditions. But I also can't help wishing that more people recognize that Virginia started this whole American barbecue thing. 
oh yeah, nobody's connecting the dots. But I think there's three things going on. I don't think there are enough people talking about it. You know, I don't know if there's a big appetite for history anyway. But the third thing is, I think for a lot of these food writers, they want something that's fairly easy to categorize and to point out the tradition. So you can say the Carolinas, Kansas City, Memphis, you can point these places. So when you say Virginia, where exactly are you going to go to get that iconic Virginia barbecue place? When these other places, they have those. Those are readily available. You have an idea where those are. I don't know if there's an iconic Virginia barbecue place. It's not that we don't have good Virginia barbecue restaurants. We have a massive influx, as the rest of the country does, of the very strong contingent of North Carolina-style barbecue and Texas-style barbecue. But we still do have authentic Virginian barbecue restaurants here. You can notice this by things like the phrases minced barbecue or sliced barbecue. So an authentic Virginian barbecue pork sandwich would be served in a minced fashion versus the pulled barbecue sandwich you would see in Carolina. And then it would be sliced instead of chopped. We might not market Virginia barbecue traditions as well as Central Texas or some other places, but our community traditions are still strong. And in many ways, that may be more true to the roots of Virginia barbecue. These early barbecues were put on by enslaved pitmasters for either political reasons or community gathering reasons. So basically, you can find your best Virginia-style barbecue at the Shenandoah Autumn Festival where the 1752 guys are going to cook six or eight super large whole hogs over a pit the old way and then feed like a thousand plus people or whatever it is for this big festival. And, and that is actually more in line with how American barbecue as we know it today came into being because at one of those events, you can see the political signs like this person's running for county whatever and this person's running for this. It's all stacked right by the barbecue, and that is very much in line with the Browns Island barbecue, where they were trying to bring the community together and ensure community stability and so forth. Or you can tie that back to when they were honoring Andrew Jackson in Fredericksburg and Martha Washington in Fredericksburg when she passed away. That community cooking that still exists is much more in line with how this style of cuisine, American barbecue, began versus the later thing of we're not going to do the whole hogs, we're going to do something more cost effective and we're going to bring in more technology and we're going to be cooking shoulders slash pork butts. It's less labor intensive, it makes more sense that way, you can get more done, but that's not the roots, that's the continuation of the roots, not the original roots of barbecue in America. As a Virginian, It's easy to lament that our barbecue legacy seems to be forgotten. But the truth is, as people get more interested in learning about food ways and where food traditions come from, their journeys will eventually lead them back to Virginia. I got to tell you, there's a lot of things that are bad about, quote unquote, hipster culture. There's a lot of snootiness and a lot of things. But there are those people that are going to pay extra and want to touch something that's older. They're going to want to know the story behind the thing. And that you have seen in the last decade. Like at Southern Grit, for example, we've seen clamoring for this style of content, for covering something like Shenandoah Valley Barbecue Chicken, which is based around chicken and basting chicken 
We've seen really good responses for covering these different pitmasters like Baysmore, we mentioned earlier, Clayton, or the work that Joe Haynes is doing and writing, cooking, or the 1752 guys. And there's a lot of others. Ronnie out in Verena, Virginia, that's in touch with his Virginia roots. I'm just going to start naming off everybody. It's going to sound like I'm plugging people. But there definitely does seem to be an interest. And it'll be interesting to see as people get older and some people pass away, how things like, say, the barbecue sauce that you and I grew up loving at Dumars, which then would go to Bill's Barbecue, which was a Virginia barbecue restaurant in Richmond, iteration of it anyways, because the families knew each other. Will that stuff survive? And hopefully it'll get passed down, and it will. And to really understand it, you have to follow that history. I have been optimistic about the response on these types of articles and these types of photo stories and these types of video work that we've been doing. And I hope that it's going to continue to grow. We're going to end up pissing off a lot of Carolinians because the more you talk about barbecue, the more you realize the epicenter is in Virginia. But, you know, hey, that's okay. I mean, history is not always comforting. It's about the truth, not what makes you feel good. Barbecue is definitely having a huge moment. I just got back from the Middle East, so I was in Dubai, Cairo, and Kuwait. People are going nuts for barbecue, but they're all eating Central Texas-style barbecue. And that goes to my point, is that's what they're seeing, right? That's where the most blitz is right now in terms of the people out there putting videos out, things like that. I think there's going to be a a hunger, pun intended, for diversity in barbecue. And so I think that's going to lead to just an exploration of these different barbecue styles. So Virginia is definitely poised to have its moment. And so I'm eager to see somebody just break down those styles. If you just look at the history of barbecue, to me, the strongest case is that Virginia is the birthplace of barbecue. And barbecue spreads throughout the South and becomes Southern barbecue when Virginians move to other places and bring their enslaved African-American cooks who make this barbecue in the other places. The Virginians that show up in Kentucky, West Tennessee, the Carolinas, and Texas that we can trace because they're, they're newspaper articles about these people hosting barbecues. And they're like, yeah, this guy was born in Virginia and he decided to bring this custom to this part of the country. The barbecue's DNA is definitely connected to Virginia. But a lot of people don't know about that. So that means we have a tremendous opportunity to educate folks. Like soul food, barbecue is a cuisine born from the complicated history of America. And when we explore its roots, we gain a greater understanding of the ways that history has shaped the way we eat and how we can't separate one from the other. When people think about barbecue... And they get really pumped up about barbecue is not about an area. It's only about the people. Yes, that's true to a point. If you do not know the history and you do not know these early pitmasters and you do not realize that barbecue in America was essentially founded by enslaved pitmasters, then you don't know the history. You don't realize where it came from and you don't really know who you owe a debt of gratitude for that. But the region does make a difference. And this is why it is important that we talk about Virginia barbecue because it is the commingling of those three cultures that brought on that creolization as uh, Haynes describes it. If those three things were not present, the way that barbecue came out would not be the way barbecue came out. There was something else would have came out, if anything. And so it is really the combination 
of those two things that made it possible for us to have barbecue the way we have it now. The more that we explore Virginia barbecue, the more we realize who the real forefathers of our barbecuing were, the people that were actually doing it. And that's extremely important because you can say, well, George Washington threw barbecue, and he did. He absolutely did. But who actually made the barbecue? Who dug the pit? Who put the wood down? Who laid the pigs on? Who killed the pigs? Who cleaned the pigs? Who put the pigs on top? Who knew how to cook them? where they were delicious and it literally brought people in to try to like quarry favor from those people. Who actually made that happen? That's why we need to explore Virginia barbecue more and that's why until we do, we're not gonna really know who birthed this. And we we may never find specific names. It's great that we have some. And I would like to see more time and more articles and more effort given to the Jubagars, to these early Virginian pitmasters who are the forefathers of American barbecue. So the next time you go out for barbecue, or maybe if you make some of your own, remember the journey barbecue has taken. And maybe think a little bit about Virginia and the alchemy that happened between the indigenous, the enslaved, and the settlers that led to where we are today. This has been Setting the Table. I'd like to thank my guests, Adrian Miller and Joshua Fitzwater. Follow Adrian's thoughts on Twitter at Soul Food Scholar and check out his book, Black Smoke, African-Americans and the United States of Barbecue, available now at booksellers. You can learn more about Fitz's work documenting Virginia foodways at southerngritmagazine.com and on Instagram at southern underscore grit underscore magazine. Saying the Table is part of Whetstone Radio Collective. Thank you to the Setting the Table team, producer Marvin Yeah, audio editor Evan Lindsay, researcher Havan Obasilase, and intern Kai Stone. I'd also like to thank Weststone founder Stephen Satterfield, Weststone Radio Collective head of podcasts Celine Glazier, sound engineer Max Katelchuk, associate producer Quentin LeBeau, Production assistant, Amalisa Utinko, and sound intern, Simon Lavender. Cover art created by Weststone art director, Alexandra Bowman. Our theme music is Who's Back in Town by Sammy Miller and the Congregation. You can learn more about this podcast at weststoneradio.com, on Instagram and Twitter at Weststone Radio, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Whetstone Radio Collective for more podcast video content. You can learn more about all things happening at Whetstone at whetstonemagazine.com. Until next time, I'm Deb Freeman. Mm-hmm.